Well, today is the fifth Sunday in a five-part message about relationships. And I'm just going to tell you straight up that um, I've been in the church probably my whole life, and we've talked about a lot of relationship issues. They usually happen to do with marriage and family. So on, some ca- on one hand, it probably feels a little bit like, wait, wait, we just celebrate mothers. And let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what the Bible has to say, what God has demonstrated about singleness and what it means to walk a life that may not, for certain seasons of life, actually mean being married. And so I am super excited to talk with you about that because I have spent 31 of my 52 years in seasons of singleness. And I have two young adult daughters who aren't married, so I do speak today with some significant years of experience in seasons of singleness. So I want you to help me out this morning. Um, Just look back over your life, if you would, and if you have ever been single, I want you to stand up. (laughs) Ever. Wait, if you're not standing, what do you think this is, match.com? I mean, like, we're not trying to, like, get uh, singles together. The point of it is that we've all walked in seasons of singleness. It doesn't matter. If you look around, just turn around. See who's around you. Older people, younger people. Some are currently married. uh, Some are not married. We may not have all been husbands or wives or moms or dads, but we have all been single. So that means this message is for you. If, you, if, you're, if you're here this morning, go ahead and take a seat. Being single includes those who are not yet married. Some people are single by choice and choose never to get married. Other people are single by circumstance. You know, they've been divorced or they've been widowed. And I really think that though most people at some point in their life think they want to get married, And not everyone, but for the most part, most people kind of have that expectation in life. But not everybody does. Some may desire to marry, but walk in singleness their whole lives. Others will experience singleness for a season or for a couple seasons in their life. But regardless, singleness is a part of our lives in the past and has a very possible potential for the future. I mean, if you're married, one person is going to die before the other, right? So it's very possible that you will spend a season of life not married. So that sort of, you know, has colored um, my thoughts these days. Because, like I said, I, I grew up in the church and I heard tons of marriage sermons. I've heard lots of talk about Mother's Day and Father's Day and what it means to be a godly parent. And I I actually am a huge fan of all of those those, um, beliefs about relationships. And it makes sense to me, though, that we we would expect that in the church we would talk a lot about marriage and family, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible talks about it right in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. And I think that we have... Um, in American culture, marriage has been a high priority and being with someone has been a very important part of the shaping of the United States. And, and interestingly enough, in 19, I'm sorry, in 2014, it was the first time in American history that singles, single adults, outnumbered married adults. The first time in our history, in 2014, 
that that you know that has changed the face of what um, relationships look like. And so that is fascinating to me. In 1950, into the 60s, so that was the season in the 60s my parents got married, right? The average wedding age for men was 22. The average age to get married for women was 20. Fast forward to 2020, the, the U.S. Census. This is now 2020. This is the age where I'm raising my girls who are right in the middle of that same season, and yet the first time wedding age rose from 22 to 30 and a half years old for men. And it raised up from 20 for women to being the average age for the first time someone gets married has raised up to 28 for women. So in those years, you can see it's a huge difference between the way that we even see life in, in like my parents' generation and my kids' generation. We're staying single longer in young adult years in this generation. So there's a whole lot more questions that need to be answered. And we're living longer. So on the end of life, we're living maybe single longer than we ever would have imagined. And there are so many opportunities that have helped us to see that marriage is not the only option for life. So um, where women and men are having the opportunity to actually make a choice. And it's really sometimes very confusing to understand what that's like. Honestly, I think it's even a little bit harder in the church. Uh, regardless of these stats, we've just established the fact that 100% of all of us will spend at least a portion of our life single. So singleness is something we need to talk about. I'm super excited about this. So, <laughs> okay. um, so singleness is something we need to talk about because not just do the statistics say that singleness is outpacing marriage. Um, there's a lot behind that, and the statistics go in a lot of directions. But actually, um, God himself has a lot to say about singleness in the Bible. And I don't know how I missed it, to be honest with you. I do not know how I missed it. I mean, I want to talk about this today because especially in the Christian church, there seems to be this stigma associated with singleness. And honestly, sometimes I listen to singles who every time there's a raised, you know, like, oh, we're going to talk about marriage and family. They're like, oh, that has nothing to do with me. I don't, I'm, uh, this doesn't apply. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's not just a, set, a throwaway to say these principles apply, whether you're married or single. It's, it's really true. But it's, it's so ingrained in who we are, whether we're married or we're not married, that I think that in the church, sometimes we don't even know how to answer the question. I've noticed in the church, I'm not talking just Emmanuel Church, right? I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who go to a lot of churches. And there seems to be this idea in the, in the Christian circle that um, I've watched that the longer someone stays single, not always, but often, I see them kind of shrink back. Kind of, you know, we're in the middle of a series. This series is called Thrive. How do we have thriving kids? How do we have thriving marriages? And I don't know that many people take the word, like the, the adjective, I have thriving life as a single. But God has a purpose for our singleness that... Um, 
should empower us in many ways. You know, I think everyone has struggles in their relationship with God and with seeing themselves the way that God does. But when it comes to our singleness, I've heard both men and women in moments of real vulnerability say things like, I just, I just don't know where I fit. Or, I don't know, I mean, I thought this was gonna happen. Or I, I, I never expected to be in this season of life. I, I thought once I got past singleness, I'd never experience this again. And, or they'll say things like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I mean, nobody's really chosen me. And they, these feelings of inadequacy and deep loneliness seem to drive people to do some crazy things that actually make them less desirable to be married than if they did not, you know, obsess about that. I have watched, my heart has broken as I've watched so many people compromise and settle for things that are so far less than what God has designed for them that, that they just feel like, I just need a relationship. If only I could, you know, um, be married, I think that I, all my problems would be solved. And I've watched people compromise sexual purity, rush ahead and take matters into their own hands. And sometimes, although they may be praying about what it might look like to have a spouse at some point, they really work hard at taking things into their own hands when there really needs to be this balance, not just in our marriedness and singleness, but in all of our lives. We're in a partnership with God where he has work to do that only God can do, and we have work that only we can do, and he you know, wants us to bring those together to have a thriving and flourishing life. But somehow, over the years, I think we've indirectly sent an unspoken message that if you aren't married, you're living a less than life, or you've somehow missed out on God's really best gift for you. And the preoccupation then that so many Christian singles have with finding a spouse is this constant pressure that never really leaves. It's like they carry this and they, and they have this lens through which they look at life. And it's in this view. I, I, you know, as I was preparing for this message today, I realized this. I'm not even sure if I ever considered praying about whether or not I should get married. I mean, I grew up in the church. We talked a lot about purity and waiting until you're married to have sex and being, you know, like finding the right spouse. I never remember praying, should I get married or should I stay single? I think that the reason for that was that singleness just wasn't even an option in my mind. I had no idea what it actually looked like to live a vibrant and thriving single life for any extended period of time. Even if I could have envisioned a future where I would be live, living singly, it would have been terrifying. Like, how do you do life alone? How do you meet your bills by yourself? How does God have a purpose if I, it doesn't include being married and having children? I, maybe it was just me. But it seemed like throughout junior high, high school, and college, the message I somehow internalized was more about who I should marry, not if I should marry. In fact, looking back, I realized 
so much of my identity that was being shaped probably between the ages of like 13, 14 to 25 um, actually was connected into maybe only subconsciously, but it was connected in like getting ready to be married. I mean, I made college decisions, and, and my friends around did many of this too, right? And made decisions based on, well, maybe, uh, you know, if I'm going to have kids, like what kind of career should I maybe choose if I want to be a family person? But it never even crossed my mind. The only single people I felt like I knew, there were probably tons more, the only ones I knew that were Christians were not really happy. Didn't, you know, they were people who, like, I just, I just didn't have those connections, and um, I couldn't even just think outside the box as, as a, a young adult myself. Um, I realize now that just like in a million other areas of our lives, somehow I was having my identity shaped by what I expected and what people around expected. Even though I wanted to please God, my, I, I felt like that um, unconsciously, and, I'm, and I see it even today, right, where we see ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually, not primarily through the eyes of Christ, but so often through the eyes of how another man or woman, like a spouse, would eventually choose us or evaluate us. So in my mind, singleness was a season to arduously get through. Like, one day I won't be single. And when I'm not single, real life will begin. When, when I'm not single anymore, I'll finally be an adult when I'm living on the other side of marriage. And it didn't matter how many other accomplishments or experiences um, not only I had, but I've watched so many have. It was almost like there's something that always hangs in the back that says, it's better, it's bigger, it's more fulfilling, you're more significant if one person picked you and you stay married. And like I said, I know I wasn't alone in those thoughts. And in some ways, the ringing of the wedding bells was almost like the ringing of the bell when a cancer treatment was over, right? Like, it's over, I'm finished. I'm past this, now I'm married, and now it's gonna come together. Um, let me just give you a couple other examples of how I've seen, especially like I said, even in the church, some weird conversations happen that just, just seem to show off our biases. About 25 years ago, a friend of mine who I adored, she was probably in her late 60s, early 70s, and actually by then I was a, you know, uh, uh, 25 myself or so, and um, I thought, man, this, this lady is so sharp, I would love to be like her. She loved the Lord and was just um, beautiful and sweet, and um, we happened to be having a lunch for senior adults, and she happened to be sitting with a guy who was, I think he was maybe visiting as a pastor, and um, he says to her, so, so you're married? She's like, oh, no, no, I'm not married what? Why aren't you married? I mean, well, she was like, I just, you know, I never, never really uh, got, ma never got married. And he said to her, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time getting over that. I mean, you're beautiful and competent and, and funny and what a waste. 
I mean, you could have made a man so happy. That's just, that just, I, I, I don't even know what to say about that. That's, I'm so sorry. What a waste. What? What? Okay. This is not just like 25 years ago. Here's a funny thing. I was together with some friends recently who um, I hadn't seen in years. So we got together. They were all Christians. And so we were happy to, you know, we were talking about um, our kids. We were talking about our jobs, our churches. And I said, oh, it's so cool. My daughter, she just bought her first house. And they're like, oh, that's so exciting. And somebody said, when did she get married? Like, no, I didn't say that. I said, I said, hey, she's bought her first house, and all of these people looked at each other, and they were like, "Uh, wow. I mean, wow, that's really brave. And I just thought, wow, we're still here. (laughs) We haven't come as far in in twenty in twenty five years. I could tell you countless stories of singles who would say that it's so incredibly hard to come to church not just at Emmanuel, but to any church, because they're never more aware of their singleness than when they're in a room full of Christians who are married. Now, both marriage and singleness are realities that affect every area of our life and our thought. Our lives cry out for significance, and yet the only way that we'll ever really discover significance is when we begin to see ourselves as God sees us, not as married or as singled. And I can't wait to show you where it even says that in the Bible. Uh, I want to jump ahead because um, we're going to run out of time. But <laughs> God affirms singleness in ways that are so incredibly power, powerful. I'm hoping that when you leave here today, you will see your married life or your singled life um, differently. In fact... Um, both, first of all, let me say this. Did you ever think about the fact that Jesus Christ, who was the greatest, wisest, most fully human person who has ever lived, was never married? I I knew that. I always thought, gosh, I mean, he never, he wasn't sexually active. He was not married. And yet he had to have lived a very fulfilling life. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament and has shaped so much of what Christians believe about how we should live, in fact, even about how we should be married, the Apostle Paul never married. And, you know, the world has told us so much that if we're not married, if we're not physically intimate with someone, then we couldn't possibly be fully human or we'll never be fully satisfied. And when we buy into those messages, which are really lies from the enemy, we live in such disappointment. We can live lives that are so not thriving and sometimes spiral into some desperation that is not at all where God has called us to be. In fact, one of the unique things about Christianity is that we, that, that Christianity affirms singleness in a way that, you know, most of the religions do not even do. Um, and that's a whole other topic for conversation that's so fascinating to see how when Jesus came, he made life better for everyone. He opened up the doors and said, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, it doesn't matter if you're married or you're not married, you 
have the opportunity to be in relationship with me. And that is what matters. His, you know, I, I want you to know that if we really understood what the purpose of our lives is as a Christian, think about it. What's the purpose of our lives as a Christian? It is to know Jesus Christ, become more like him, and to then also be on a mission for the kingdom of God, bringing people, reconcile people, reconciling people to God. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning is that Paul and actually Jesus actually say, you have a better chance of doing that, a broader opportunity to bring more people to come to know Jesus Christ if you're single. So stand with me, would you? We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul had received a letter from a new church in the city of Corinth, and that was some crazy city. You think we lived in a sex-crazed culture. Oof, you should study a little bit about the, the city of Corinth. So they had, this new church had written a letter to Paul because they were becoming Christians. They were a combination of Greeks and Jews, and, and um, they were people from um, all over the Mediterranean world and Romans, and they were coming together, and they're like, we don't even know what to think, but we have a question. In fact, we have a bunch of questions, and here's what he says. Apparently, he spent the first six books, I mean, chapters, just saying what he wanted to say, because in chapter seven, he says, now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Go down to verse 7. We're reading from the message. It's on the screen. Sometimes, Paul says, I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of married life to others. Verse 8. I do, though, tell the unmarried and the widows that singleness might well be the very best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should all, by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. True, that. Uh, verse 10, and if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. Love this. Jump down to verse 17. In the message, it says it this way. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there because God, not your marital status, defines you. Let me pray. God. In these next couple moments, would you fill this place with your Holy Spirit? Would you speak something profound, something powerfully intimate, especially to every person listening who's single? May we see ourselves as you do. Would you begin to plant a vision of hope, a vision of purpose within us as we seek to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Amen. Take a seat. I want to jump to two quick places and show you a little bit more about um, what Paul had to say about uh, singleness and marriage. In Corinth, there were so many things going on that people were like trying to figure out, should we get married or not get married? So their question, like I said in the beginning, was, can we have sex? He says yes in the context of marriage. Their next question, which I guess we would have thought would have been the first question, was, should we be married or should we be single? Paul's answer is, in a nutshell, whatever. I mean, ask God about it, right? I, I think he was, I mean, he said, to some, God gives the gift of marriage. To other people, he gives the gift of singleness. But go into it, either way, with your eyes wide open. Because there are some rules. Like, if you're married, stay married. If you're going to get, um, if you are going to get married, you should marry another Christian. You know, the Apostle Paul not only talked about, but he modeled a lifestyle that was so incredibly committed to the kingdom of God that he never married and really was challenging us to see that singleness is a gift. He was really explaining that neither singleness nor marriage were morally better. There wasn't one that was better than another. He was simply saying, listen, this world is not our home. So if you're married, be great at being married. If you're single, be all in and enjoy life and live out your purpose in, through me, in you, as a single person. Even if you're married, you can't only focus on your marriage, is exactly what it says in the message, because there's, there's more than just our family. But if we're married, of course our family is going to be high priority. We should be. Go back and listen to the first four messages that Pastor Mark already preached, because every one of those things is true. If we're married, if we're parents, we should be all in. We should make it our highest priority to love on our kids and to, to invest in our, in our spouse. But you do know that marriage comes with saying some no's, even though there's some yeses. And singleness is the very same way. There are some things that can be done and some, some opportunities out there that, that are available to those who are single that just aren't available to those who are married. Listen to 1 Corinthians 32. I'll just leave this without comment. 1 Corinthians 7, 32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Verse 35, I'm saying this to help you, not to try to keep you from marrying. I want you just to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best, with as few other things as possible to distract your attention from him. But if anyone feels he ought to marry because he has trouble controlling his passions, well, you know. Right? We already established. Then, then get married. But if a man has the willpower not to marry and decides he doesn't need to and won't, he's made a wise decision. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. I, 
I have to say, I mean, I have been married. And some of the sweetest joys in my life came in that season. There were things that God did in me, through me, that fulfilled me and, and brought such deep joy. But there have been seasons in my life where I have been single. In fact, in this last 10-year period of time in my life, I could not have even, I couldn't read those scriptures a few years ago. I was just like, I can't even see it. I have to tell you that God has not said, this was better or this is better. But he has provided he has become to me what I thought I already believed, what I thought I'd already embraced was, God, you're my everything. You're my all. You, you're the air I breathe. You are, every, you are my provider. Until I was alone, I didn't realize how many places God still had to fill inside of me to say, I am all you need. I mean, it felt like 20 years ago, that was like a consolation prize, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's all I need. I just want to get married, right? You married and you have a wonderful marriage and one day that spouse is gone and there's a part of you that will never be the same. And a huge part of life that is gone and missing and aching and crying. And, and God is saying to you in those moments, but I am enough. That's not a throwaway to appease the single people in the room. That is the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is this, that God has come to meet us and fill us with his Holy Spirit in a way that no person on the planet ever could possibly fill. There's, there are things that God, it's like, what is the difference? Right now, I probably need to buy a new car. I've been driving a minivan for a really long time. Somebody asked me the other day, what kind of car do you want to drive now that you have to replace your car? And I was like, I love driving a minivan. They were like, I never heard anybody say that before. I'm like, I don't know. I love, I love driving my minivan. It really doesn't matter, right? If I'm getting from here to there, if I'm in a minivan or I'm driving a cute little sports car, at the end of the day, I need to get from here to there. Could we envision our lives with marriage and singleness as a vehicle in which God is at work to say, hey, you want to get married? Awesome. Follow these guidelines for your benefit. Get married. And I will bless you, I will work through you, I will use your life, and you stay submitted to me, marriage is awesome. Could we also look at it and say, if I get in this vehicle, am I any less to God? Am I any less, have any less capacity? In fact, part of why I want to still drive a minivan is because even when my kids are gone, there's a lot of places I got to go. There's a lot of things I got to do, and I want to be able to pack it filled with people. I want to take their stuff. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself, and I don't need to sit in a little two-seater car because it's not about the car. It's about the relationships that happen in the process. I just 
am overwhelmed by thinking that God has come in such a way that he wants us to know he is all. And if we do not believe that, we will not be happy in marriage and we will not be happy in singleness. If we are, if we are anxious, if we, are, um, if we struggle with our identity when we're single, you better believe that when you get married, that does not just disappear. Because we take ourselves wherever we go. And think about this. When we stand before God, we will not stand with any other person. In fact, i got to flip about 40 pages ahead. Let me see here. Now, listen to this. Okay, listen to this. Let me jump. Let's, let's go real quick here because this is awesome. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. But there was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Jesus, hey, your mother and your brother, they're outside, and uh, they're asking for you. Jesus replies, who's my mother? Who, who are my brothers? And then he looks around at all of those and says, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Wouldn't you expect that when Jesus heard that his mom was outside, he'd say to the crowd, oh, I'm sorry, I got to take this call. It's my mom. I have to, I have to talk to her and, and see what she needs. Uh, he doesn't do that. He makes it sound here like he doesn't even care about his family. But that's not consistent with other places in the gospel where we see Jesus pay attention to his mother and care for her. Instead, he's using this opportunity to teach a radical new truth that defines one of the significant differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament on the view of family. What Jesus is saying in that passage is this, in, or in that demonstration, in his coming death and resurrection, Jesus would be creating an eternal family that would have stronger ties than anyone will ever have with their biological family. J.D. Greer says it this way, the nuclear family may be the building block of our society, but it is not the center of God's kingdom. Think about it. When we end life, we will not be married in heaven. We'll stand, you know, before God. He talks about this in Mark chapter 12 when, when some religious leaders came to him and said, hey, um, uh, we have a question. If a woman is married and her husband dies and then she remarries again, when she gets to heaven, which of those guys is going to be her husband? And Jesus says it this way. I love it. He says, you're way off base. Here's why. One, you don't know what God said. Two, you don't know how God works. See, after the dead are raised up, we're past the marriage business. As it is with angels now, all our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. You know, in heaven, there won't be marriage. The only marriage we will be celebrating is the marriage of God, Jesus Christ, with his bride, the church. And we will stand before him. And so Ken and Sandy Dean, who are married now 50 million years, <laughs> this is the weirdest thought, but, but here's the thing. When they get to heaven, they'll be brother and sister in Christ. 
It won't be like, hey, we finally got our mansion. No. They'll, they'll both be there because they both know Jesus, but they're not going to be there as husband and wife. They're going to be there on the position or the basis of their relationship with God is because they're his child. They will be in heaven that way. The family relationships we experience here on earth are only temporary. The only relationships that are eternal or permanent are those relationships that we make within the body of Christ. Christopher Jung says it this way, our earthly families are temporarily bound by blood, but the family of God is eternally bound by the blood of the lamb. So this is why the church should be the social and spiritual center of your life. Because all y'all who know Jesus will be with me in heaven. I mean, we should be investing our time. We should be investing the way that we spend our money, the way that we make our priorities, the way that we parent our kids, and the way that we live our, our marriages, and the way that we live out our lives should be focused on how does this lead more people in Jesus' direction? How is the car I'm driving pointing people to Christ? Imagine if, if you have kids or a spouse who does not know the Lord, what hope there is in knowing that that's not your only mission? It's a high mission for sure, but as you invest in raising up other spiritual children, I tell you, not only is that fulfilling in your own life, but you will stand before God one day by yourself and he will say, well done. Look at all of these people who got to be here because of you. There's such hope in knowing that the investment we have in other relationships will also be used for the glory of God. In conclusion... Can we go back for a second to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Listen to this again. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or you were with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. It's not a mistake. Live and obey and love and believe right there because God is, uh, God, not your marital status, defines your life. Our whole lives as Christians are to bear witness to God's love to the world. There's neither way is better, married or single. So this morning, there's some business that I think you need to do before you leave the room. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ, none of this even makes sense. And the reality is, is if you do not know Jesus Christ, when this life is over, you will not be with him. So I want to encourage you, turn to Jesus today. You need him. You need him in your marriage. You need him in your singleness. You need him for every breath, for everything. So do business today and ask him to, to be in your life. Forgive you of your sins. Here's the second business I want to encourage you to do today. Intentionally invite God into your singleness or into your marriedness. Pour out your heart to him because he's strong enough to handle both your joys 
and your grief and your disappointment. He has a word for you today that you can't hear until you lay down your expectations of what you think life should be. And when you lay that down, God is ready to meet and be your provider. He is enough. He is more than enough. In fact, it calls us back into Genesis chapter 22, when if you remember the Bible story about Abraham, God had promised, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to make nations out of you. And you're going to have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them. But in Abraham's mind, that was all wrapped up in one thing. If I'm going to have a lot of descendants, I have to have at least one son. And at 100 years old, he's saying, Lord, it's kind of, you know, drying up here. And God gives him a son. And crazy enough, a few years into it, God says, will you lay that son down? Would you sacrifice him on an altar and give him up? And Abraham, by this time in his life, was so convinced about the character of God he was so convinced that it was less about the promises and more about the provision of God, more about the promise maker, that he said, I'll do it. Because in Hebrews we're told that he believed that if God even took his son, who was supposed to be the ta-da of his life, that God would make another way because he believed him. And so when he did lay his son on the altar, God came in and said, don't do it, I'll provide another sacrifice. And Abraham called that place, and it's called God in that place, Jehovah, Jireh, my provider. The one who sees me, knows me. He, is, he knows everything about me, my desires, my longings. And he is trying to let me know that he not only delivers the goods, but he is deeply personal, personal to us and understands our heart. The underlying question in this conversation is, not am I married or am I single? The question is, do we trust him? Do we really trust him? Do we really believe that God is enough? Not enough like, oh, whew, just squeaked by. No, enough like fully satisfying everything so that there's nothing lacking. If God would choose It doesn't really matter which way we live out our lives if we're fully convinced that he is more than enough. Lord, I don't know who's in the room this morning that needs to hear that. I mean, there were times in my marriage where I just thought, man, my life is so good. And times in my marriage where I was hurting so deeply, I couldn't have shared that with someone if my life depended on it. 
There are times in my singleness where I have said, wow, life is so good. And there are days where I say, Lord, is this, is this gonna be forever? Oh God, the joy that comes in knowing that I am enough because you are enough. That I am chosen, that I am loved because I belong to you as a child of God. Would our hearts respond with confidence in knowing that you, Jehovah Jireh, are our deepest provider.